Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 173, Mid and Late Season Public Land Turkey Hunting with Tony Reynolds. And I am your host... And the guy who is making last-second preparations for the NWTF convention. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But right now, we are 28 days, 13 hours, 42 minutes, and 52 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. Four weeks and a few hours. And actually, when the show is released in four weeks. That morning, I'll be in the woods with a shotgun slung over my shoulder, chasing turkeys. And I know that may make a lot of you turkey hunters up north a little bit jealous, but just know I'll be jealous of you come May 1st when you're still turkey hunting, and I am not turkey hunting anymore in Alabama. So it all works out in the end. So today's going to be a quickie. Because, number one, I'm still trying to wrap up my huge project that I've been working on for you guys for the last six months. And I am so close to having this thing finished. I actually wanted to roll it out yesterday and announce it on today's show, but I can't just yet. So close, yet so far away. My goal, however, is to finish that project today or maybe even tomorrow and quietly roll it out at the NWTF convention, but then have a big announcement coming on next week's show. The other reason today is going to be a quickie is that I am making last-minute preparations for the NWTF convention in Nashville, like I mentioned a few minutes ago. And just like Santa Claus, I'm making my list and checking it twice. I've added basically two times the number of items that I want to accomplish to my list this year because the Turkey Hunter Podcast intern Cameron will be at the show this year to help me out. Last year he was supposed to come and help me out, but he actually got the flu the week before the show and could not make it. So this year I told him no kissing, 
and no drinking after anyone and to wear a mask at work this entire week. And I think he's actually done it. So he's going to be there to help me. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about this, I really need to come up with a new title for Cameron because he's really not interning for me as much now that he has a real nine to five job now that he's in the real world. So here's what I want to do. Cameron does need a new title. And since I have a million things going on right now, I want to see if you guys can come up with a great title for Cameron going forward. So so if you would, tweet your title ideas to me. My Twitter handle is at TurkeyHitman. And come up with a good title for Cameron. And I'm going to sweeten the pot a little bit here. So if you will send me a title and I choose it, then I'll give you a turkey call. The winner gets a turkey call and the contest ends, let's say, Tuesday, February the 20th, 2018 at midnight. And then I'll announce the winner on next week's show. Now, all right, we need to get some rules here. So two rules. Number one, be respectful. And quite honestly, I'd be shocked if any of you guys listening to the show would not be. So that should not be a problem for any of you guys. And number two, make me laugh. So if your new title for Cameron can make me laugh and it's respectful, then your name's going in the hat for a new turkey call. And I'll make that drawing probably Wednesday, but we'll close the contest Tuesday, 2-2018 at midnight. So speaking of contest, one thing that I have on my to-do list for the convention in Nashville is to do some giveaways on social media over the next few days with some of the exhibitors at the convention. So between now and Sunday afternoon, pay close attention to my Facebook page, I Am Turkey Hunting on Facebook, and pay close attention to my Twitter feed, and my handle on Twitter is at Turkey Hitman. You may want to follow me on those two platforms if you haven't already because this is a really good chance to win some cool turkey hunting gear over the next few days. And as that goes along throughout the show, I'll be making posts on Facebook and posts on Twitter to let you guys know what I'm giving away and how you can win it. Okay, lastly, if you will be in Nashville at the convention, then hit me up. I would love to meet you and thank you personally for listening to the show. I've reactivated my Google Voice account and you can actually text me on that number. That number is 205-201-1448. It will be active all weekend long. And you can also DM me on Twitter. And again, that Twitter handle is at TurkeyHitMan. Now, those are the best two ways to contact me. I can't promise I'll be checking messages on Facebook, but I'll try. So Twitter and text messages. Now meeting you guys at that show is one of my favorite things about the show. So I would love to hear from you. Just know this, I may only have a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds to chat because of seminars that I want to cover and interviews that I've got on my calendar, but I will absolutely do my best to arrange a time and a meeting place for us. 
Okay, I've got to get into today's show because it is a long one, and it is chopped full of information. Now, this week I got Tony Reynolds on the phone for another interview, and I got him a little bit fired up, and he got rolling, throwing out tons of information. You guys should remember Tony from episode 170 just a few short weeks ago, where he talked about preseason scouting on public land. So this week, I have Tony on again to talk about mid- and late-season turkey hunting public land, because Tony hunts public land a good deal and has for years. Now, I'm serious when I tell you that I got Tony fired up talking about turkeys with him. So listen in closely. Here's Tony Reynolds with the Reynolds Custom Calls, and I will see you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. I'm glad to tell you that I have on the line with me today Tony Reynolds once again. Tony Reynolds with Reynolds Custom Calls in South Carolina. And we are going to dig in a little bit deeper with Tony today about hunting public land. And I'm going to do something that I haven't done before, and that is to really pick Tony's brain about some mid to late season public land strategies and I've got some good questions lined up for him at least I think they're good anyway but what I really want to focus on with you Tony is how hunting pressure affects these turkeys and how the breeding season changes affect these turkeys as well so Tony how are you today and where are you I'm fine buddy I'm at right outside my little shop here in Waterloo South Carolina we're Building these calls, getting ready to go to nationals, and we're just kind of running them 16-hour days right now, so it's wonderful to be able to do what you love. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Well, you and I talked for a couple of minutes before the show, and I'm looking forward to meeting you. I met you several years ago at one of the local sporting goods stores, but it has been a long time ago, so I'm looking forward to meeting you again, shaking your hand, and sitting down and maybe sharing a turkey story or two. Same here. I'm always ready to talk to you. Always. (laughs) (laughs) Good deal. Well, let's get into it so I can get you back working. And let me get these questions up here. We was tuning box calls this morning and had one gobbling behind the house already. Did you really? Wow. Yep. That gets me pretty excited to hear that. Oh, me too. Well, I'm going to go pick up some laser engraving a while ago i looked out in a in a field and there was two strutting and three more feeding with two hens so they're kind of i don't know what's going on maybe i hope they don't get you know gobbled out before the season gets going good here yeah yeah no joke well you're the first person that i've talked to that's seen or heard any sign of turkeys being interested in breeding so maybe it's just right well, there I, where I, you are but i don't i wouldn't think so I don't think they're breeding. I just think it's just that today was just the sun came out after that rain, and it was pretty, and the, the green field they planted is already, you know, coming up real good, and I just think they were just enjoying today. I think that's what it was. I think when this cold snap hits again, and, and it does like it do, it's going to it's gonna still postpone them until probably around here, usually about the, about the 1st of March, you can start going out listening and real good. I'm talking about, you know, being consistent. But now sometimes in February, they about on time, about the last week of February, they'll start, you know, kind of kind of changing their, their, their habits a little bit. But I think that 
probably about the first of March, you'll hear them gobbling pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, the turkeys weren't the only ones enjoying the sunshine today. I actually took my lunch and stood outside and ate lunch today because it was just so nice. So, oh, yeah, completely, it was cool here, but nice. Yeah, I completely understand the turkeys getting fired up. It was finally nice to see some sunshine. So before we jump into these questions, tell us a little bit again about Reynolds Custom Calls, how we can find you if we want to look at some of your calls, and I guess as well, it wouldn't hurt to tell us what booth you're going to be in at the NWTF convention in Nashville in case anybody's listened to the show happens to be at the convention and wants to come by and look at some of your calls and say hello to you. Uh, yeah, we're at we're going to be on the 2000 aisle. Actually, 2016 is our booth space, and we're building up. Me and the, the guys here at 413, we're we're building up some new stuff and bringing a lot of the good old stuff. And we're looking forward to meeting everyone. I got a new guy named Chris Jordan. He's a young man that I've kind of started mentoring a little bit, but he is one of the best mouth callers I've ever heard in my life. He's got the best yelp, and he's. Wow designing and creating some of his own cuts and all and we're gonna have jason Busey, who used to be of southland game calls he's gonna be in there cutting and, and demonstrating calls also i've got the new bloodline series of calls that's that's out right now and doing real well and we've got a couple of our guys there that that are coming along real well with the calls and just remember these guys are most of them were without jobs a few months ago and we just brought them in and put them to work and They've uh, teach them teach them a little bit about building turkey calls and introduce them to to the way we do learning and and, and worshiping the Lord and so it's the ministry part of it is doing real well and of course if you put the Lord in anything it's going to do well. It's hard to argue with that, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I agree one hundred percent. Yeah, thank you. Good deal. So but, go oh, ahead. Now, one second, I was just going to tell you. Plus, when we're there, we've got some new calls we would like for y'all to kind of, if you come in, to play around with it and give your opinion of it. we got a new gobble box, and we've got a new scratch box that's old-timey stuff, and we just got through building a bunch of real nice calls for Eddie Salter. So go by and check those out also. So let's jump in and start talking about hunting some turkeys, which I know we're all fired up and ready to get out and do this. Now, I know that from previous conversation with you and from some advice and help that you gave my intern last year at one of the shows, you turkey hunt public land a good bit. And so, again, I want to focus on mid-season and late season, but how different and how much more difficult do you think turkey hunting public land late season is compared to turkey hunting public land in early season well early season the birds are fresh unless somebody's been in there calling to them or you know you know kind of being crazy but that right. i've seen it but they'll get if they've not bothering and not pressured much you you know, even on public land it can be great hunts i mean just like on private land but as the season goes on it, just the pressure uh, you got to remember most of your your public land is national forest land at least it is where I'm from. And the big gravel roads, the birds haven't heard much activity since deer season's closed. So they, they just started back. But when they hear that gravel start popping again a lot, 
They know that means humans. I mean, I really believe they associate that with human beings. And they become a little more alert. But first, like I said, the first of the season, you do you can do well as long as you do your homework before the season starts. And you get in there and you don't. The best thing to do is limit your calling because you don't want, until you learn the terrain and the birds that you're hunting, you limit your calling to real, what I call deliberate calling. I just don't start cranking something out. Now, I build turkey calls for a living. I love to play with a turkey call. And I've caught myself many a time sitting by a tree and just calling just to hear that call call. Well, you got to understand, them birds are listening. You're in their front yard. You're in their living room. And they're listening. And you may not even see that little eyeball pop over that hill, but once he associates a human being with that calling, that's going to kind of mess him up for the rest of the season of coming to a call. So limit your calling. Do it deliberately. What you're going to call, know you're calling to the bird when you call. And spend as much time knowing that bird, like we said before, of knowing what what his habits are. Once you figure out the way that bird's moving, if he's moving up and down a certain ridge, going from a certain roost, to a certain grain field or something on the other side, it's a lot easier to get around there where he's going and call him to you than to try to call him away from where he's going. Right. So, so it, but to answer you, on mid-season, they're going to be quiet. They're going to be spooked a little bit more. They're going to be more, they're going to be more deliberate. They're going to be cautious. What I've run into is a lot of the birds on, on public land also has got a lot of predator problems. They know when they're on the ground, if they hammering a lot, they, they take the chances of getting chased by something. So they're, they're a little quieter. But what I found about midway through the season on, on public land and, and, you know, private land, but the birds are going into a transition. Is you got what I call it the pre-breeding season, which is when he's chasing her around and she's feeding and she ain't paying him much attention. She's not breeding. She's, she's not setting or laying. And right. so he'll follow around a lot. And, and, and you can get a lot of, of satellite birds in at that time. I mean, you know, two-year-olds, they make you look good. I mean, I love two-year-olds. But <laughs> you take you take a, you take, and if you hunt a mature bird and he's with certain hens, well, they're going to, throw a, they're going to go through one stage, which is a what I call the, 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 the pre-laying season all the time, because what happens is they're just feeding along and he's following. He's, he's waiting on any day she's going to go in and start breeding. Well, then you go through the breeding time, which that takes is that the bird will follow her anywhere, and she's not going to want him out of her sight because she's going to want to, want to breed to, to, to start that clutch. Well, at that time, she's going to move that bird from that morning feeding area to her nesting area. So what you've got to listen for a lot of times when you what's that bird going way over there? That's nothing but little pines and bamboo briars or whatever. She has probably picked her nest area out. And what she'll do is she'll take him in that area, and she'll lay down and breed. And they say they can breed one time, and it'll do the whole clutch. But I think that they breed a lot during that time because it takes them three or four days to lay that clutch, if not longer. So a lot of times what I think is happening and I've observed is that she'll let him breed and she'll she'll go in that area. Which when she goes to lay a, a egg, she don't slip off. He follows her right there by that nest. When she sit, when she's laying those eggs or setting, he'll strut back and forth right in front of that nest. He won't move. And that's when you hear a bird. Where'd he go? And you hear him steady gobbling, but he's not moving. And you will automatically will say, well, that's a strut area. He's in a strut area. Well, no, he's looking at his hand laying right there. And I've seen them get up off that nest and lay back down in front of them again and then breed her again right there at the nest. She'll crawl right back up on the nest. And so she keeps him there. Well, what happens is after that, you've got what's called the post, I call the post 
breeding time, she's laying. And so she's in, got her clutch, and she's laying, and he's still bothering her. Well, she'll lead him off, and then she'll take off running and leave him. Now, he knows where that nest's at. But if you've got one that's going in a certain area, and he's gobbling and not moving, if you'll get, you know where he's roosting, if you can get between there and where you've heard him gobbling, and, and I have found the nest that the hen's on. She's on, I've run her off a nest before, and I'd back, I didn't mean to, just walked up on her, and I realized what was going on. I just backed up the next morning. I come in sitting there at that nest. Well, the turkey was gobbling where the hen was still on the nest. Well, I just sat right there, and it wasn't long. I hear spitting and drumming. He strutted right up to her. And, of course, that was the last he saw. But anyway, that's <laughs> just, that may not be the most ethical way you want to hunt it with hunter ethics that's because you're going to spook her off, and she's probably going to break some eggs. But if you can back it up and get away from that, but t- that gives you an understanding of what he's doing, what, what what's going on right there, because he's made. But now, she, once he, she's not letting him breed anymore, he'll start looking for other hens. And that's that. That's the later part of the season that I enjoy so much, because once you, you hear him gobbling, he'll start gobbling in the morning, and he'll go looking around, and he'll gobble it all day long until he finds another hen. So that's the best time. And to me, that's the three stages, even on... And, I, and especially on public land, because it's so much land that you'll locate a bird and he's in that area. And that's, but if you hear him just kind of in the morning gobble one time and shut up, and then he'll go off, and then about 10 o'clock you hear him gobbling a lot in one spot, and you move up there and you go, this is a, don't look like a turkey, you know, like a, a hardwood ridge where you can see a strut zone, a pasture, right. you know, or a, a field or something, a food plot. Usually, you know where he's at in there because, he, yeah, he's out there strutting that food plot, look, waiting on a hen. But if he's off in somewhere a little thick and he's gobbling a lot, well, he's just, he, he's so fired up waiting for her to crawl off that nest and breed that he's just gobbling. And that's, that's, hmm. at least you know where he's at. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't heard that. And that's, you know, it, it makes some sense that he knows where a hen is and knows that she wants to breed because she's been breeding. So, you know, he gets in those those areas where she is, but she's sitting on the nest, so he gets kind of fired up. That's that's pretty neat. Yeah, they. So, if you've ever seen them, if you've ever seen them, a hen when she's when she's breeding, that's when she you hear her jump on a gobbler because he's gobbling to you. You'll be yelling to him, and she'll get mad. She'll peck him in the head. She'll go peck him in the head. I mean, people's like, I mean, I've watched it happen. And then she'll got take off out the bottom of the pasture, and he's gobbling at you, telling you to come join them, and they go straight away from you. She's headed getting him away from you because she's got to finish her clutch. Right. Yeah, that's happened more times than I can count on hands and toes. Oh, that yeah. End, carrying that gobbler off, carrying him away from where I'm sitting and calling. It's something I think we all fight multiple times a, a year. Yes, sir. So, what are a few of the adjustments that you make in your approach to public land birds during the late season compared to the early season? You you mentioned one, and that's you know really to kind of transition from those open feeding areas to more of nesting areas and start looking in in those types of areas there for for turkeys. But what other adjustments do you make from late season? I- or in the late season compared to early season? Yeah, late season, you you really, birds that you've heard early in the season, you don't know if they're dead or they just moved, you know, someone's in shot, you know, harvest them. But you, right. a lot of times what I do is I look for tracks. I'll get along to walk the creeks and listen in the morning, start out early in the morning where you've heard of them in the early season. And if you don't, I'll walk those creeks, those clear-cut roads, 
you know, anywhere that they can leave track strut, strut sign and find out which one's there because they will quiet down when they get a hen and they're like, they, they, they don't want any other gobblers knowing these got a hen either because other gobblers come in just like, you know, and take away from them. But I watch that because a lot of times late season, I call it the old maid hen. She's, she don't lay clutches anymore. She don't lay. She just feeds, and he's looking. He's found a hen, and he'll follow her and follow her. And that's when I I use special calls that I build to call the hen to me because that's that's very important is to fire a hen up, especially if she's got a gobbler with her, to get to be able to, to, to deliberately call a hen in. There's different tools I use and the different calls I build. I build a box call that's got a old granny hen raspy call. It's called a little huzzy because of a, a hen that uh, the call was named after this, and I built this call in 1993. I went to my shop, and I had a I had a big, big gobbler, and it was on a pasture. And it, I'd have him come, and he'd be interested. But every time, a hen would come out of the trees behind me, just chew me out, and take him straight away from me every time. And I'd go, had a little huzzy. <laughs> I said, I just can't believe it, you know. And I said, that's terrible. <laughs> I named it that. So anyway, so I said, I've got, and I went to my shop, and I was like, man, my, my call is just not raspy like that. She's got that bottom end raspy. So I played with the, my, my, I built about six, hollowed out about six walnut boxes, found me some good purple heart lid for Billy White. He he was the man. I loved his hustling in box call. So I got me some purple heart, and I went to moving, tilting and cutting different angles, and cutting the groove, the, what I call the vibration grooves inside a little bit. And I finally got one sounded pretty much like that hen is raspy. And I said, I like that. I said, I'm going to trade that. So that morning, I polished that little call up, and I took it in there. And I knew where he was at. He was in a little island, a little finger that come out into the pasture. And she was usually in the corner to my right. So she, I just was real quiet. She flew down. She was out there. I said, well... And she went straight to him. Well, when I started cranking out, she started cranking right back at me. But she didn't go away this time. she come up there with the ruffle feathers rustled. I was just cutting at her. And she come up there ready to fight. She wanted me to hush, but I sounded enough like her. She knew I was a dominant hen. And she mm-hmm. drug him up within 30 yards, and he got a headache. He weighed 24 pounds. He was a good bird, really good bird. But I, I never would have got him if I wouldn't have thought about that, her being a dominant hen. And I, she never went to nest. She never, she picked, there was another gobbler picked her up, and three days later, another gobbler picked that same hen up, and she stayed in the back of that pasture the whole season, and and, and she never went to nest the whole time. I hunted the other bird, too. So Wow. That's pretty interesting. So then imitating the hen late season works just as well as it does early season and trying to call the whole flock to you then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what you're doing, you specify, you know, a specific hen because there, there are other hens. But if you've ever noticed a dominant hen, I have her own zone, own area. And mm-hmm. uh, the, these birds, they don't lay anymore. So they'll tie a gobbler up the whole end. You know, you take a week worth of his time and he's, you know, all the other hens are going to nest. It's the only hen he found. He stays right with her. And a lot of dominant gobblers like that, he'll... He'll just stay that, you know, with that duration. And it's hard to call him in away from her. Now, if you can get him, my, my granddad told me, said, what you need to do is go up there and bust her off the roofs and sit down and yell. You know, that would have worked. That would have worked because right. she'd have flew probably half the county away. But I just, I just, I tried something a little, a little different and it worked. And it's worked a lot, especially when I used to guide for plantations and all. I used to guide a lot. 
you didn't have, you had to get that man a bird. So you had to learn to talk to the hens just as much as you did a gobbler. I mean, because by the time you've gotten on that five, 600 acre piece of property, there's two, you know, birds that's kind of, like I said, two year olds or whatever that's, that's out running and, and gobbling. You get them pretty quick. You know, first couple of people get those. Then you got to start right. working on the ones that's tied up with the hens. So I've kind of got off on the subject of, you know, tied up, you know, of, of lockdown birds. But on public land, you're going to run into that because it's so much land. It's scattered. When you run into little pockets of birds, you're going to have that. And uh, right. so it's, it's a lot of walking and a lot of carrying on to try to find, you know, single birds on public land. And it's corn. Now, there's little tracks of public land, but where I went, it's uh, 9,000 acre tracks, you know, up to, up to 40,000 acre tracks. Right. Yeah, I think it's that way throughout most of the southeast. You know, when you go up above the Mason-Dixon line, I think that there's just smaller tracts of land because there's more people. And so the public land opportunities are typically on smaller tracts of land as well. So, yeah, Yeah, I think that's pretty common for us to have these big chunks of land. And I think that's part of what is intimidating for a lot of southern hunters is hey i'm looking at this 10,000 acre or 15,000 acre tract of trees and dirt where in the world am i going to find turkeys on it and so you know i think that that's intimidating for quite a few people but that kind of leads me a little bit into my next question because you mentioned it in your last answer and that is covering ground and so I know you told me in our last interview that you don't run and gun as much as you used to in a few years ago, but let's go back a few years. Are you running and gunning on public land more in the early season, mid-season, or late season? Or is it going to be the, the same throughout? No, it, early season I'm running and gunning pretty good. I still, these old legs still getting around pretty good when it's, when it's called flat land. <laughs> Any amounts I don't much, but I... I run and gun a good bit. If I can get my, especially if I can get my um, my permits lined up where I can drive my golf cart on the gravel roads, you know, just to get me from one point A to point B because I know the land good enough that I can hear him gobbling and I know where to get around to him, you know. But when right. in the in and when I was, you know, ten, fifteen, two hundred years ago, I used to get out. I could I could go if I heard him. I could go. I, I mean, it was. You know, once the dinosaur wasn't in the way of nothing, I could get over that to him. But anyway, I loved I loved running gun because I I you know I've several birds. I mean I've I've you know got where we kill two a day and we our seasons and we kill five a season. So you kill two a day here, mm-hmm. and so if I got one right off the bat, man, I wanted another one. It turkey turkey hunting was addictive. I mean it was. And next thing I know, my five's done. And I've done my five in four days, you know, for three days, and then I'd be ready to take somebody else's call. I want to go call their birds up, you know. But, right. yeah. yes, if, if if the birds are responsive and there's plenty of birds and you're not, you know. And another thing, too, that slowed me down over the years is that if if I'm working, if I'm on a, in an area and I hear a bird gobbling a lot, I'm pretty sure maybe somebody's calling that bird. And it's, you know, I, I do, the worst feeling in the world is to go up and mess somebody up. And I've done it. I've done it on public land. I've walked up and bumped a bird right off a man. He said, man, he had right. 10 more yards. And that band was furious. And I don't blame him. And, uh, but, so, I, yes, I do run and gun. And the birds, you know, but I've learned that, uh, I've learned over the years now, I want him to do what I want him to do. 
So a lot of times now I sit by a tree and I'll listen and I'll listen to him because I may not get him, go over to him and get him, but I'll listen to what he's doing. And if I know he's moving, he's in a big clear cut, he's moving the edge of that clear cut, the next morning I'll be closer. And I'll know where he went the night before, the day before. And until that bird gets where I know exactly where he's at, what he's doing, I don't even open my mouth. I don't call. When I call, I know where he's at, and I'm pretty pretty sure what he's going to do now. So, But I, I, do, I do like the running gun when I can. Okay. All right. And you're typically doing that more in early season? Yep. Early season because the birds, they, they, they get quieter. And that's something I want to stress that I didn't earlier, but you'll see it in the pattern of a bird is that on the hardwood ridges now your seasons you just the, the blooming of everything the the season of spring has a lot to do with what the birds do if, you, if the food that it produces is like this early season they're scratching digging for dogwood seeds and and little acorns left over and grubs and stuff some in early season even some of the insects aren't out yet so right. where I'm from in South Carolina, what we run into is, uh, I call it the budding season. What happens is about, say, the second week in the season, the dogwood limbs, the, the dogwoods start blooming and all. You know, it's crappy season also. But it's, they start blooming. Well, the, that's right in turkey season. Well, when those blooms start falling off the trees, the little husk, I call it, off the seed after, you know, when it starts pushing out the blooms, that little husk is full of nutrients. And it's laying on top of the ground everywhere you know we're all over from all kind of trees well the, right. you'll all of a sudden you'll notice that the birds aren't scratching anymore and you think the birds have left well they're not they're walking by and just picking up those husks right off the top of the ground and and they're quiet they're a lot more quiet then because they're feeding a lot and you know that and it's looking for sign it's back looking for sign you do not go see as much sign in, during that period and then also what will happen is the food plots that the government plants or the or the you know the grass the grass areas start growing a little bit and then the scarab beetles up here come out when the scarab beetles come out these these turkeys they're running from area to area wherever they find those scarab beetles they love them and mm -hmm. so the feeding pattern will slow down the goblin and all also because the hens though they're going to nest and they're going to eat as much as they can before they go to nest because for long they'll sit on those you know those eggs a lot so, I mean, you know, they're not building up fat enough. Well, they may be. They may be building up fat. But I've just noticed they, they really go to a feed right before they go to nest. Right. Yeah. So you touched on something a couple of times that I think needs to be pointed out, and that is that you're always scouting. Even yep. if you've got a gun in your hand and a call in your mouth, you are always scouting. And I think that is extremely important and Especially yes. the new hunters need to know that. Yeah, so. that's and that's the most important thing is just knowing you you where you're hunting. I mean, you're really going to decrease your percentage of success if you if you don't concentrate in a certain area. If you get an area you're hearing some birds gobble, you need to really concentrate on the little draws, the dog, the the logging trails, the everything that a bird can use. You you can get in there. You, you know how to read the way a bird's going by the way the scratchings are well you know whether you know and if you see that pattern a good bit you know one ridge another ridge yeah all i'm always got my eyes to the ground and my ears open when i'm walking i mean i'll i'll walk mm -hmm. when i'm when i'm when i'm hunting just looking for anything I, a lot of times i'll stop and build me a little a little blind where in case if i get if i'm doing because i will i hunt my way into the woods and i hunt my way out of the 
And I, what I mean by that is a lot of times the birds aren't gobbling. So when I walk in, I'll take my foot, I'll scratch it like a turkey scratching, and I'll do soft yelps, and I'll cluck and purr with a mouth call walking along, just, just real easy, and just mm-hmm. scratching in the leaves. And a lot of times, I've just took my foot and be easy along and scratching, and he just hammer right over the ridge, and I barely have time to get the gun up. He's coming. So, I mean, yeah. it's just you don't you, you want to sound like a turkey even when you're walking. You don't stomp through the woods. You deliberately, like a turkey walk, turkey takes a couple steps, stop, scratch a little bit, couple steps, stop, he'll yell real soft, and the show will yell real soft, and a little bit. You want to sound like a turkey coming through the woods. And if you're slower than the game you're chasing, if you'll slow yourself down to be slower in that game, you'll see him before you see it sees you. Our problem That's is very true. We tried to get it. Oh, I want to get over there by that big tree where I sat last week. Well, you don't, you could chances is that turkey can hear you 300 yards walk through the woods. As you stomp through there, you're going to run him. He's going to know it's a human being or something big that ain't a turkey. So always try to be a turkey when you're in the woods. That's great advice, especially on public land. But it is great advice for people hunting on private land as well. And you're right. I, I haven't heard it put that way, but you're dead on. If you move slower than the game that you're hunting, I'm yep. I'm not going to say nine times out of ten, but a lot of times you're going to see that animal before that animal sees you. Yes, sir. My granddad taught me to slow it down. We would we taught me that most of that was through squirrel hunting. Was easing along mm-hmm. squirrel hunting, just take steps, stop, ease along. Always the one of the most important things I'm a, I, I want to stress is when you're easing through the woods and if you're running and gunning. And what I mean, you're not really running, but you're moving. Right. When you stop to co- locate that bird to stop, you stop either behind a big tree. I've killed a lot of turkeys just standing behind. A friend of mine named Joe Kelly showed me this when I was a kid, just starting. You lay, you, you stand beside a tree. You become, if you lean against that tree, you're part of a tree. He, you actually hide behind it. But they, they will not, They, I mean, you've got a, a, a vantage point of being higher than sitting on the ground. But I'm by mm-hmm. a tree or buy somewhere I can sit down real quick if I've got to sit down. But I would just as soon stand by that tree and wait on that bird to come back because I can always move my body. Just around that tree with nothing but my gun barrel out. And, and he, you know, it's, if you'll be surprised, you think, oh, he's going to see me. Nope. If, you, if you've got that gun barrel up, you keep that tree between you and that turkey, you can just ease right around that tree and get one big enough to hide you. And if, it, if it's not, then you may have to sit down, but at least you buy something that you can sit down real quick. You know, it's just a, it's just a, I will not stop and call I got a place I can sit down. I mean, if you ride out wide out and open and you hit on that call, once you let that call out of your mouth, he knows exactly where you're at. Exactly. So if he's just right over that hill or the next ridge over, plus the woods may be wide open with no leaves. So he he's already over there. He may be looking at you when you call. So that's just, that's another little point I want to stress is always be ready to sit down or at least set up time you call. Right. Another good piece of advice. So in mid to late season on public land, are you using your locator calls as much early in the mornings to try to get a turkey to respond? Or are you generally just not even getting into the woods, but maybe you're on the road waiting for the turkeys to reveal their location to you on their own? I've always been one that I've loved a crow call in the morning, maybe, but I usually use a, uh, uh, I use my box call to locate with, and I'll cut, yelp real sharp, cut real quick, but just just like I just said a while ago, now once I let that yelp out, I'm hunting. The hunt's on time I hit it, whether Mm -hmm. I'm ready or not. 
So usually, I, a lot of times on on I'll ride the, the gravel roads and I'll stop. I take that if I'm in my golf cart or whatever, and I'll ease up about a hundred, hundred fifty yards, and I'll cut on it. If it gobbles, if not, I'll go two or three hundred yards sometimes, and I'll hit on it. But if I'm walking, I'll do it about every hundred yards, and I'll sound like a hen moving through the woods. And usually, if he's having trouble catching up with you, he'll gobble at you, get you stopped. So that's a really good way to locate. But I, in late season, I locate with with a box call. I work a box call to death. I'll smoke it. <laughs> hmm. So how loud? Are you calling when you're doing that on the well, box call? If, when you're it, it also, if, I, if I'm moving along and a bird's gobbled and I know I'm trying to get a little bit close to him, I'm going I'm to shorten it up because I don't want him to cut me off me not here. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just going to just real quick, just real quick, sharp yelps or cuts and just listen because he's, he's going to gobble back at you. That's, that's just, I don't know what it is. It's, I don't know if it's. I think that a turkey has two kinds of gobbles, and one is a hormonal gobble, which comes from yelping and turning him on with a you know with, with a call, and then you've got an adrenaline gobble like a, a crow call or a door slamming. You know he gobbles. He's not drumming, but he'll gobble. Right. So I think that that real sharp yelp or cut on a box call is a little mix of both of them. It startles him and he knows it's in. So that's why I prefer to use that box call over a crow call or anything like that. Because, you know, you remember a while back, they came out with that silent whistle. Now, I don't know who ever figured out that thing really worked because I never heard mine. Now, Turkey might have gobbled, <laughs> but he might have been gobbled at a freight train over young or something, you know. <laughs> but that was the most brilliant thing of marketing I've ever seen in my life. So I'll leave it right. at that. <laughs> well, and we're always looking for that one secret weapon out there. That's right. And, That's right. And so... Yeah, that's that right. was that was sold as a secret weapon. It was so secret you couldn't even hear it. Couldn't hear it, man. Couldn't hear it. You know, you know a little story real quick, and I, I know, yeah. But I was in uh, out in Kansas, right on the Nebraska line one time. And pheasants were out there. I'd never heard of pheasants, and it's a woo mm-hmm. woo. You know, I'm like, listen at it. And them turkeys was hammering at me, and I, I was trying oh, to figure yeah. out how to do it. And so I grabbed a. I, uh, I'd already had success with hooting on a five-hour energy bottle. I take the drink to drink. I'd say, here go. I'm going to get started this morning. I'm going to get the turkey started. I blow into that thing, and it sounds like one of them old train whistle uh, Al Hooters, you know, and them turkeys would go to it about every time. Well, I was looking on with it, and I found a 30 6 shell casing, and I picked that up. I blew crow calls. I done done an Al Hooter. Them birds out there didn't hear a bunch of crows. I mean, they heard the crows, but they didn't hear a bunch of owls. So I take that thing and poof, on that on that thirty all six shell and birds gobbled. I used that thirty all six shell to locate birds the whole time I was out there. But it's just you you know just listen to your surroundings what to get those to gobble because in every place you hunt's a little different. You know on the lake a lot of a lot of them use like a goose call and mm-hmm. a buddy of mine uses a duck call and he'll go locate mm-hmm. them with. And so you know that's how I got off subject, but that's that's. That's a good thing to use is a is whatever. Just notice what the birds are gobbling to around where you hunt. Get to know that bird, them birds, because uh, coyote yelpers is one of the best ones in the world because that's it will startle them, startle them in the you know gobbling. Right. So how, if at all, does your volume on your call and the calls that you make change when you're sitting down to to call a turkey in? How do they change on public land as the birds get more pressured throughout the season. 
Are you getting quieter on those calls or what? Yes. It's, yeah, my calls, I designed my calls hunting public land, and that's where it come from. When I first started building calls, I found a out that I loved a, a glass call, Cody call. Well, then I had like the slate call to finish with. So I had a friend of mine made a little trough call, and I used those. And I, as I started building my own calls, I built a crystal call. I come out with the first crystal call I ever came out with. And it would locate it, but what it does, it makes a pop in my ear when I'm yelping on cutting on, yelping on that call real quick with a sharp yelp. It would pop my ears. Well, it would right. pop gobblers too. And I found out that they responded to that crystal way more than they did glass. And I hadn't let anybody know about a crystal call as of that time. I was just putting it in my calls. Well, I, the same thing also, I was carrying a call, a slate call in that. Well, I looked and I said, well, if I'm going to yelp and add, if one of them, I looked at the back of my call, I said, I got all that in space. What if I built a small, soft call slate call in the back? So I drilled into the back and seated a one-inch or, well, one-and-a-quarter-inch piece of slate in the back. And I used silicone in my calls, and it clucked and purred beautifully. So what I ended up doing was creating one of the most versatile friction calls that was to create. With that, it come with aluminum striker for when it was wet, and you could play the crystal side and sound like aluminum. So that's what I called, but it was a, it was for public land. It had a purpose, a loud when I need to get loud, and I could switch it over real quick, sound like I'm 100 yards behind me. So what I will do is I go, I'll get the locating bird, and I use a box called locate, like I said before. Then I'll yelp at him on that crystal side with a good hard or wooden striker so it's not too shrill. And then once I get him to come, and I'll flip it over to what's called the lead poison side, and that's that slate side, and I'll cluck and purr soft, and I'll scratching those leaves. That's one of the most important things is you, people don't realize when you're calling turkey, there's no way a turkey can be in the woods and not make some noise on, in the, on the ground in those mm-hmm. leaves. So that gobbler knows that. So, okay, well, if maybe, I got, maybe that yelping is a, is a person over there that's been shot, that shot at me twice. So he mm-hmm. knows there's a call. Now, where she at, I should, be, I should hear her scratching or walking in the leaves. And that's, that is one of the most important things, getting that bird that last 20 yards. So I re, I've always, when I sit down, I scoop me up a bunch of leaves right beside me. And I'm scratching him leaves. And, and so many times on public land, he shuts up. And I go, man, he's he's coming, but I don't know where or a hen's took away. And I'm scratching those leaves. And I hear, and he'll be coming. He's encircled me. He's convinced that that's, that's a turkey up there scratching. And, and here he comes. And it's just, I don't even, you know, just real soft clucking and purring and scratching in the leaves is the deadliest thing, you know, to finish a bird off. And that's, yeah. uh, you know, that's either with a mouth call or with that little slate soft call fishing back of that Carolina slice. That is the, I've killed, I'd say 95% of the birds I've finished with that slate. Right. Well, that was actually my next question for you was to talk about some of those non-traditional types of calls like leaf scratching and that kind of thing. So I, I agree with you. I think it's just adding more realism to your calls because I've had, in, in, in my early years of turkey hunting, I had older hunters tell me, well, I've called turkeys in to me without even making a turkey sound, but just by scratching in the leaves. And I always that's thought, right. that's the biggest bunch of rigmarole I've ever heard in my life until it happened to me the first time. And, you know, I had a turkey. He was on one side of a ridge. I was on the other, on the other side. And I was walking, trying to get to the top of the ridge. 
he heard me walking in the leaves and he yep. is running up the side of the ridge that he was on to get to the top. We both top, we both topped that ridge at the same time. I don't know if he scared me more. Or I scared him more, but he was gone. But yeah. never made a sound. It was all just me walking in the leaves, and and he had just gotten so excited because he heard so many hens that spring walk around in those leaves, and he knew what it was. Yeah, or and he that's he that's knew what, what I was. was. Yeah. That's that's what I was talking about earlier. Is that when you're walking in the woods, like I said, be a turkey, walk, stop, and take your foot and scratch. But they walk on two legs just like we do. I even imitate the distance if they would step. Their little legs ain't as long as mine, so I take little steps. And I'll take that mm-hmm. toe and I'll scratch in those leaves. And I've even went as far as take my foot and pat it like one pecking because I could hear them over there right not far from me. And I'm just trying to get to this last little area I can get to where I can sit down by the big tree or get stand behind the big tree. So, And I just try to imitate a turkey as much as possible. But back to your, your question about different calls. Now, I'm going to give you all some untraditional calling and call calls and call techniques that I use that produce that that little edge you may need to get him that last distance or that bird that has heard everything but shot at two or three times these are some of the things that i've used to to harvest some of the nicest birds i've ever harvested not because they were big but they were hard birds that i knew other people been after that they had named these birds and i would go in and was able to get them and it kind of that's kind of to me that's a true trophy right there so one thing you remember is that on public land is my granddaddy's old saying is call soft, shoot straight, and eat good. And what he meant by that was you call, all the old timers know you got to call soft. But what it is is what you're calling soft. You're clucking person. Some of the people I know, they love a, a wing bone call because it's something the turkey hadn't heard. You can get real soft with it. The other one of my go to most favorite calls that my granddaddy had was a old scratch box call, a cedar scratch box call. Mm-hmm. And that, that cedar, it would go so low and produce such a good cluck and all that that thing, it was wore out on one end and almost on the other where he used it so much. But that was his favorite call. I used that a lot with the clucking, you know, clucking and purr on it. It does a what's called a, one of my favorite calls that I use that most people don't use. It's called a, a pleading yelp. And I do it on that crystal call or glass call to sleep. It's a wah, yelp, yelp. If y'all ever heard a chicken, I mean, I know everybody has, but I'm not crazy. I studied a lot of tame turkeys listening to this sound. You ever heard a chicken when he walks around in the yard? Like that, making that sound. Just, mm-hmm. you know, well, I was actually working these, watching these turkeys at a friend of mine's place down in the state from Georgia, and he had three or four when I was and if that hen wasn't doing that exact same thing. Now, it's some kind of procedure they use when they're feeding, and there's turkeys strutting along behind them, and they're feeding. And I don't know whether it's a challenging. I don't I don't know exactly what they were doing, but they were doing it. And I learned to do that on a slate call or a glass call. And they just, I mean, just, that's in a feeding mode. That's when they're feeding. In a hardwood hollow, whatever, about the middle of the day from, say, 10 o'clock, the two, when I'm going to take a little nap and call soft and scratch a lot, I'll use mm-hmm. that. And I have just just great success on that call. And another one is a, I don't, it's a, it's a, it's a, that's the pleading yelp. And then there's the, it's almost like a, 
I don't know what you would call it, but I would take a, the slate on the back of that call, and I would just constantly just cluck and purr and just doing it. I guess you aggravate him enough to come over there because I'm doing it real soft and soft yelps and nonstop. I do it nonstop. Mm. I mean, I, it's, people talk about calling too much, but when you call real soft like that, a lot of times they want to know what that is. But now they don't come in gobbling to that. You've got to be ready if you're going to try that call. They're going to come in looking. They're curious. And they'll have that neck struck out, and they'll come in. And every now and then you hear them, they'll spit and drum. When they get close enough, they know you right there. But when you're doing any calls like that, you've got to remember that you're calling soft, clucking and purring, scratching, or any call that these turkeys, these are their woods, they don't have to walk their whole body up on top of a ridge to see where you They know exactly where you're at. They will walk up and stand. I've seen it time and time again. They'll you. I'll hear them down there, and they'll walk up, and all of a sudden, next time you hear them, they're gone, and they're gobbling way over yonder. He's done walked up, and all he stuck over that hill was his eyeball, is his eye, just top of that little white head, and he that eye, and he's looking, and he knows you're supposed to be right there somewhere, and guess what you've done? Oh well, I think he'll answer this glass call a better, and you move to set that slate call down to grab that glass call, and guess what? He just saw you move. And he knows there's a redneck in the woodpile right there somewhere. He's gone. <laughs> next time, next, next time you, next time you hear him, he's gonna be over that hill goblin where you heard where he gobbled the last time. And there's no telling how many times I've done it. And I'm sure everybody has to that we've done that and spooked that bird. But another tool, one of the most important tools you'll ever take to the woods in turkey hunting is a turkey wing. Now I know mm-hmm. people's into taking fans and all that. A turkey wing, and thank you, Mr. Will Primos. I got me a turkey wing after the first turkey I, I killed. I put it in my vest, and that stinking thing, it went. But I will take that wing, and I will take it. And first off, when I go to fly down, I'll get that wing out like he showed me how to do. But I'll take it. If that turkey's close to me, I'll take that wing, and I'll reach behind me, and I'll scratch it on the, on the tree. And it sounds just like a, a, a hen turning around on a limb. It'll just scratch on it, and that turkey will respond. He'll gobble to you. And you don't have to make another call. He's there. Next thing he knows, he's going to pitch out right in front of that tree. And I've, I've done that time and time again. The next thing is when you do fly down, remember, you just that thing's got to hit some limbs. So I'll start out with I'll flap it, and I'll hit the tree over my head, and I'll hit the ground, hit the hit like some limbs or, or a little sap in the side of something, you know, mm-hmm. make a little more sound than just a just wing flapping, you know. And then when it hit the ground, then I yelp. I'll coincide my calling with that wing. But the, the the deadliest one I get, I hunt down in Georgia, lower Georgia, with a lot of rivers and and sloughs. And the deadliest thing that wing that wing will ever do is I can imitate flying across that flu. I mean slough mm. or the river. And I'll take that and I'll do a fly across. You know, just pick it up, never even not even hardly yelp sometimes. Just do a fly across. Mm. And I brought uh, birds would be hung up, and I go and once he knows that he hears, I sit down and I do that. I've been across that slough, so I didn't circle around that slough. When I do it, he knows that was a turkey flew. There's no doubt about it. That was a turkey just flew that flu. And I'll yelp at him, and he'll gobble. And nine times out of ten, that right there is what it takes to, to, to convince him that that is a turkey. So that wing, that sound of wings and feet on the ground and, and, and stuff like that, that that they know is a turkey is a lot more than trying to yelp or, or you know, anything else, you know, calling one. Because those are more natural calls, even though they're not a turkey, you know, developed call, they are calls. Right. So, so that is some of the 
my secrets right there that I use a lot, and I combine all those. And as you use those that I give you, just like Will Prewaves give me that that secret about that wing that I multiply, I, I, I manipulated in the way I hunt. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do with your turkey calls and everything. You get a turkey call. Now, you might run a slate different than I do, but you you take that tool and you turn it in the way you hunt with it because everybody hunts a little different. Now. That is absolutely correct. So I want to talk to you now, and thank you for those secrets, by the way. That's some really good information, and I have tried that Yelp before and had it work when other the plain Yelp or whatever Yelp I was doing was not working. So I agree with you. Those are those are all great tips for us to, to use, definitely. But there's something on public land that I've started calling the Tuesday through Thursday effect. And you probably know what that is before I even yes, say sir. it. But <laughs> yes, sir. That, that is those days when turkeys start acting like turkeys again. And do you see the Tuesday through Thursday effect being as prominent late season? Because it just stands to reason that later in the season, the hunting pressure is not as much because people have either given up or people have limited out or they've started fishing or baseball has started. Whatever it happens to be, it just seems that the hunting pressure is not quite as much on the weekends, late season as it is early season. But do you think that Tuesday through Thursday effect is the same throughout, you know, from day one in the season to the last day of season? Well, yeah, the no, the, I think that the, the the weekend effect is is really uh, the latter part of the, the I'd say the second. The second and third week, the fourth week, sometimes there's nobody in there. Birds are, what's left is usually, you know, establish them a kind of a safe zone and they're in there and you just got to find that zone. But I, going back to that effect that, that were, you know, you know, Tuesday through Thursday, that's, that's true. That's when I, I get a lot of my birds, but I use the Monday, the, the Friday through Sunday effect a lot to help because I always try to establish me a, a, a safe zone or, or, or a zone that I look at my maps and I'll look. Now, these birds know that terrain, and I don't, but I'm looking at a map and I'm going, well, here's a road here. They can come in this way. So I try to find me an area, and I'll draw, distance it out to get in the middle of the zone that if anybody wants to come in, they're going to come in way off the other side. So what right. I do is I I'll find that area, and what I'll do is on Friday morning, I'll go deep. I'll go way down in there to that slough or that bottom on that river bottom, way down there. And that's where I'll spend all day because if they're moving around, the birds are in there. They're not going nowhere, but they're going to be, I mean, they'll move, but they're there. And eventually, right. if you've seen scratching and all in that area, and they, they're going to come, I'm going to just sit up and wait. And eventually, you can. that's when you get out the the, the, the vianers and the cheese crackers and you just camp out and you will learn a lot about that area way down in the bottoms where Bigfoot lives. You'll learn that a whole area <laughs> before and and you will be, you, it's going to be rewarding because you'll hear the birds gobbling way off when the people are working them. And then you hear them birds move. And if you hear them, they'll be moving your way. And chances are just like a dominant, a big old buck, they'll run them to you. I mean, they'll run them down into those big bottoms. 
And most people aren't going to walk that, that mile and a half back in there. They're just going to get up there when the bird quits gobbling. They're going to go get back in their truck and leave. And then on Tuesday, when you come back in there, say on Tuesday or Wednesday, well, you know he's that's where he's at. And then he's going to move back up there to the ridges. You've heard where he's been gobbling all weekend. And then move him back down in there. So the more time you can find a, a relief zone that you can get in and just set up and wait, that's, that does wait. Because everybody else going to be running and gunning. You might as well sit still. I mean, I've actually had them run turkeys by me and I kill them. I mean, really, run uh-huh. turkeys running through the woods and get a shot at them. So, yeah, that's good advice that I haven't ever thought about, but it makes great sense to get in there deep and let all the other hunters out there that are running around in the woods chase them to you. So I might oh, have yeah, to try well, that this well, year. Well, I mean, it's it's not like they're driving them, but at least you're back far enough that you're listening and you're using the woods and you're listening in birds because. He's going to gobble, you know, maybe one time, two times, but he hears all that activity and people, and he said, man, this is too confusing for me. I'm going back to my little island I got down here, and I'm just going to sit back and scratch up some worms. I'm not going to bother nothing. But he get down there where he's safe, and he knows he's always been safe, and he hears some little sweet clucking and purring. Hmm, that's going to change his idea a little bit. The lot would get him mm-hmm. in trouble, but that's what you, that's what you <laughs> want to do. I mean, that's it's just... Uh, and sometimes I think I read too much into a turkey. I mean, he's really not that smart, but I, I give him credit for it. You know what I mean? I'm right. give, his instincts are so much better than I am smart. But I, I really think I would give him the benefit of a doubt on that. If I'm gonna, if I'm going to take my time and spend my whole day hunting him, I'm going to do everything I can to get it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, my last question for you is this, and you may have touched on one or all of these, but what would you say are the top two or three things that you learned about late season pressured public land turkeys that have helped you have the most success during that time? It would be more patience, more patience and determination. That means that these birds have been hunted, so you've got the season, the leaves are the leaves are greening up, the woods are getting more mm-hmm. you know, full the hens are nesting or going to nest. He's back to bacheloring and he's moving. They're going to move a lot at, at, in that time. They, they'll they move more than they do the first of the year because they're looking. But it's to be more patient. And to be, if you can understand this, to be more patient and more aggressive. What I mean by that is when I get on a bird, he's looking for a hen. I've got to move on him. i got to, I got to move on him quick to get set up because he's going to come. You know, if you're not set up where you want him to come you you can't uh you can't you you're not gonna have much time to move when he's because he's gonna be aggressive too at that time so what i'm i move when i move it's deliberate but i'm getting where i can if he pops over that ridge i got a shot right here where can i shoot to i can shoot across that creek now if if he comes i've got to get to where i can shoot across that creek real quick and i so i'm more aggressive in my movements but my calling also if he's gobbling every breath i call harder so that's one of the things that changes, but it's, it's being more patient with, with like, the middle of the day. You know, be confident, that being more confident with my calling, because if he's not gobbling and I know he's there, I'm, I've, all I got to do is see a track, a big track, and I'm going to spend more time, because by that time, your birds have opportunities to narrow down, and when you find a good bird and you've got one more tag to fill, you want it to be that good bird. And usually I'll name him. I'll name him up something, and I'll hunt him. And if I don't get him this year, I know where he's at next year that time. But it's if one thing would be patient, 
Also, my calling is going to change a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change up from some of the calls I used at the first season. I'm going to change up to my, my, my softer slates, my, my, uh, using my, my wing bone, my wings and stuff that, that, that is going to be more, just more that I've had more success with at that time of the year. And a lot of times by that time, I've got a, I've got some prototype stuff that I'm using. One thing I didn't touch on that I want to tell you that I use a lot more now, I learned how to gobble on a box. And I have, and I've taught my friends this, and now game management, I'm just going to tell you, it's not the smartest thing in the world because you don't know where everybody's at. And there's a lot of people been shot on National Forest land. It's just, I think that's, you know, right. you get shot anywhere. But I do gobble. I got a gobble box, and that thing, I'll yelp real sharp, cut on it, and then gobble at it because he knows if there's a hen yelping and there's a gobbler with him, she's in love. She's got love on the brain or something. Anyway, he does too, but he's coming. He's going to come check you out. So I found that a lot of times in late season, I'll gobble on my box and I'll gobble the turkeys in. I mean, I've gobbled mm-hmm. multiple gobblers in coming in at one time. And, you know, because that's just what they're doing. Is, and that works real good in first season too, not just in late season. It works good in first season right. too. That's just another tool I use. But I don't stress using doing that when you don't know where, who's right over the ridge from you. That's just, uh, right. that's just, you, if you got somewhere you can see, if you're set up in a big clear cut, you can see pretty good. And, and, you know, you open and you, I'd suggest it, but on, I wouldn't be gobbling a lot to another bird gobbling and somebody will be slipping up on from behind you. Right. Yeah. Very good. I told you that was the last question I have for you, but you've given me the, an opportunity where I feel like I need to ask a follow-up question. Okay. Do you utilize any gobbler yelps or clucks in your calling, whether it's early, mid, or late season? Are you utilizing that? We know that you're using gobbles now more than you ever have, but what about the other? Yeah, I've used I use a I use a gobbler yelp so much. It's a chop it's kind of a chop yelp where if if a gobbler's gobbling and he's kind of hesitating or a little bit out yelp, yelp just like another gobbler really tell him to get lost is what he's doing mm. and it's, it's i've seen that a lot you know you know a lot of times when my goblin it sound like a jake and i do a jake yelps in there throw some jake yelps in with it because i got one right. side of my box built where it do a lot a deeper you know choppy yelp and like a like a jake or a, a gobbler but i will chop it it's, it's almost intimidating it's like uh using a Another thing, too, that I use a good bit is decoys when I can. Decoy is uh, get his eyes off you when he look across that ridge and see that hen decoy. Uh, gobbler decoy, I'm very lenient toward that on game management lands. I just, just, right. That's another thing not knowing. But a hen, I mean, I just hope nobody shoot at me with a hen decoy near me. But, <laughs> and I always set my decoy, my hen decoy. This may be something we'll get into another time if you'd like, but I always, I've worked a lot of years on trying to, how to set up my decoys and what to do a lot of times in the woods. And if I know the birds is coming from my front, I put that decoy behind me where he can see it. If he's coming up that ridge, I put the decoy behind me because once he sees that decoy, his eyes off of looking for anything else. And I can get him in there real close then. I mean, and you, you know, he's going to walk right, right almost by you. That's just another story, but it's decoys. I do use them a lot on game man. Yeah, very good. Tony, I've got about 300 more questions that I could ask you, but I know I can't do that to you now because you're putting in 14 and 16 hours days getting ready for the convention. And I 
greatly appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on the show and share some more of your knowledge with us and get us to where we can feel comfortable getting out there and on public ground and getting the opportunity to kill a bird. So I appreciate you very much. I'm going to let you get on with your evening so you can get some rest and get back at it bright and early in the morning. And I look forward to seeing you in Nashville and shaking your hand and you're at booth number 2016. Is that correct? That's correct. And I, and anytime I enjoy talking turkey, it's brought back a lot of good old memories and a lot of techniques that's been stored away for a while. So Anytime you need uh, questions, maybe one day I'll be able to put this on paper. I've got a bunch of stories that goes in between these hunts <laughs> that, that I could yeah. put. I'll even might one day tell you about my Bigfoot tracks I found one time. So, But anyway. <laughs> All right. Heck yeah. I love stories, and that's one thing my listeners keep telling me. Give us more stories. Give us more stories. So we'll take you up on that, and we'll just do yeah, an episode yeah. on some stories. We can do that, turkey tails and notches. That's why I got a book that I'm trying to put together, and it's about notches. I put notches on my turkey calls when I kill a turkey or call one in that gets killed with a call, and that's what it's going to be called, turkey tails and notches. So maybe that's I'll awesome. help me refresh some of my memories. But I've really yeah. enjoyed this, and uh, y'all come by and see me at Nationals. I'd love to talk with you and meet you. That's my, that's as it's. The call building all is just a platform that I get to meet people and let them see what what the good Lord done with me and the talents he gave me. So come see me. Fantastic. Thank you, Tony. Have a great night, and I look forward to seeing you here in a few days. Yes, sir. See you then. God bless. All right. Goodbye. You too. Goodbye. Did I tell you or did I tell you? I think I could have kept Tony on the phone all night, and he probably would not have realized it until he heard that turkey behind his shop gobbling at daylight. And the reason that I'm laughing here is because I don't think I would have realized that the night had gotten past us either. I enjoyed talking to Tony so much. So, Tony, if you're listening to this, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show again. I really do appreciate your sharing of your time and experience with all of us. All right. Now I'm done with today's show, except I have two favors to ask of you this week. Number one. Go to Tony's Facebook page and give it a like and leave a comment on his page thanking him for coming on today's episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you're looking for a turkey call or two, then probably want to consider buying one or two from Tony. Not only is he a great guy, but he is a great call maker as well. All right, favor number two. Don't forget to hit me up if you're going to be in Nashville at the show this weekend. 205-201-1448. Shoot me a text message, and I will get back to you. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you and meeting you. Now, what did I do with my fork? Because we're done. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. 
Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.